176, 176, and we're going to sing all the verses. In the blood of the Lamb. 
house tonight amen praise the lord for him allowing us to be here once again to gather together it's a special time amen in our oasis in the desert on a wednesday night thankful each one of you are here tonight let's go ahead and go to the lord in prayer tonight as we begin i'm asking brother john ellis would you pray as we begin tonight please be seated tonight. I want to just, um, again, uh, just kind of give you an update. Been uh, talking with Preacher a little bit there, having a wonderful time there. Um, we're in Florence uh, yesterday, and well, I guess it would have been early this morning, then headed out of there, but just enjoying their time. He did uh, say that he's praying for the services tonight, and I'm thankful we have a pastor that's still thinking about us and loves us enough to be praying for a church here, aren't you? And uh, so thankful for that, but just I'm glad they're enjoying their time there. Um, did want to uh, leave some reminders with you uh, about some things that are coming up. First of all, uh, tomorrow night we have softball and kickball games here for the school. Uh, so those will be taking place right out here on the ball field from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock uh, tomorrow night. And certainly anyone is welcome to come and watch and uh, enjoy the time there. There will be concessions available uh, from our senior class. So if you want to bring some money there and, and uh, get some things, you can. Um, and then on Friday... Uh, our youth are going to be leaving uh, from here about 6.15 in the evening, headed over to Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple uh, for a youth rally there. And so they're looking forward to that. So make sure you have your kids uh, here ready to go by 6.15 in the evening. And then they're going to be coming back around 12 a.m., all right? So be here and be ready to pick them up at that time. Um, I wanted to remind you that our fasting is going to begin next week, all right? So it's come upon us really quickly. And uh, we're preparing for our fall revival in October. And so we're going to be fasting and praying and uh, asking the Lord to prepare our hearts for what is going to be happening there in October at our fall revival. And look forward, looking forward to Brother Dean Herring being with us. If you've never heard him preach, you will certainly enjoy uh, hearing him. He's a blessing. And uh, be in prayer for him as he is preparing uh, for those nights of revival. Um, also, oh, and I wanted to say about the fasting that it's, uh, it's your choice. All right? So you get to choose. All right? Except maybe not, you know, work. Your boss may still want you at work, um, things like that. Um, but something maybe that is taking a lot of your time that you can kind of put aside for the week and not get in trouble for doing, all right? And, uh, and then uh, as you do that and you're wanting and desiring those things, then pray for the fall revival that's coming in October. Next week, next Friday, we have ball games again here um, at uh, 6 o'clock in the evening on the, September the 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. So uh, if you want to come out for those, you can as well. And then men, don't forget, the week after that, we're going to be leaving for the men's recharge, uh, September 22nd and 23rd. All that stuff has been sent in, and so we are registered and ready to go there. So uh, be here. We're going to be leaving about noon on Friday. So be here a little bit early so we can get things loaded up and then head out of here in a timely manner around noon on Friday the 22nd. And then uh, we'll be coming back uh, after, in the afternoon, probably be around 3 o'clock, 3.30 or so, I think is when we usually get back. Am I right about that, Brother Quinlan? Is that about right? think about 3 4 o'clock maybe somewhere in there on Saturday. So uh, keep that in mind. And then um, the 30th of September. So we had to switch 
because the Baptist men's recharge was moved back a week, we had to move outreach up a, or, or far, one week farther out, okay? So it moved from the Saturday of the 23rd to the 30th, okay? So a churchwide outreach is on the 30th of September, 1030 in the morning. So keep that in mind. And then, of course, as we get into October, our fall revival is October the 8th through the 13th. So plan on being here every night of fall revival, amen, and uh, being a part in that. Well, let's go ahead and take our prayer list out, and uh, we'll take uh, some prayer requests tonight. I did want to give you a few, um, <clears throat> just a couple updates on some things that uh, I know about. Um, I was texting with Brother Moore a little bit yesterday, and he said that Miss um, Carolyn Moore is uh, continuing to improve. Um, as far as I know, she's still in the hospital. Do you know anything different? She's still in the hospital, but uh, continuing to improve. I haven't heard anything from him today, so I only assumed she was still in there. Um, but I did uh, change the top uh, prayer request there on the top left there uh, from uh, the, the nursing home there to the hospital because that is where she is at. So please keep her in your prayers as she continues to improve. He did say that moving forward, they may have to have her on oxygen from now on moving forward um, is, is a good possibility. But uh, just thankful that she's able to improve and hopefully go home here in the next few days. So be in prayer for that, uh, that she'll be able to get out when we went and visited her there. Um, she seemed to be in pretty good spirits and had some good uh, sense about her from everything she'd gone through. And I asked her, when you busting out of this joint? To which she laughed and she said, hopefully in a few days. So uh, anyway, but uh, we had a good laugh there. But just keep her in your prayers. Continue also to pray for uh, Brother Randy Crawford and Miss Jerry Crawford and their health issues that they're facing. Facing a lot of stuff right now. And so just please keep them in your prayers. I know they'd appreciate that as well as Brother Roy McCray. Good to see you here tonight, sir. And uh, continue to pray for him and his Parkinson's and uh, all the appointments he'll have coming up and things like that in the future. Um, I have on here, too, um, I marked down uh, Miss Christy Wisdom's going to have her back on the piano tonight. Um, but keep her in your prayers as she's continuing to recover from her knee surgery that she had. And I know it's, um, in talking with her, it's taken longer than she expected. Um, and she's ready to be off the crutches, all right? But who wouldn't be ready to be off the crutches, okay? Um, but just go ahead and continue to pray for her, as well as... Um, Miss Marilyn Carr, who uh, is recovering from wrist surgery as well. And then keep them in your prayers as they're traveling right now. They're taking a little trip. And so be in prayer for them as they're on the road. Um, also, don't forget, uh, we added last week the Overzat family there. They're in the, the final column there on the second page um, at the top, the Overzat family for bereavement. And uh, this was a friend of Miss uh, Jean Wiseman. And uh, her brother had passed away. Um, so... Uh, Make sure and keep uh, that family in your prayers, as well as the Sexton's and the Hodges family still. Um, you know, it takes a long time sometimes to get through situations like that. And I think we need to not forget uh, to pray for these um, that have had loved ones that have passed away. So please keep them in your prayers. I'm also marked on here, um, be sure and continue to pray for Brother Jack and Miss Lizzie Parker as they're going to be uh, continuing on deputation there on the East Coast and in Florida this week, right? Are they going to be with Brother Nance this week? Tonight, they're with Brother Nance, their missions conference there tonight. So that's what I was thinking. So uh, make sure and keep them in your prayers as they are presenting there at Brother Nance's church and their missions conference. Is there anything else we can add tonight or take away or a blessing or praise or something like that that we can mention tonight? Anyone at all? Ms. Sue? Yes.
Absolutely. So, Miss um, Maddie Owens, the little girl there, three-year-old girl with leukemia, uh, she's there on the right-hand side, uh, about not quite a third of the way down there on the right-hand side. And just keep her in your prayers. Difficult situation there. Um, and I can't even imagine being a parent um, and having to deal with that. Just a horrible situation. But uh, sir certainly needs our prayers. But I'm thankful that we know the God that answers prayer. Amen. So keep her in your prayers for sure. Brother Clark. Yes, sir. Oh, my. Okay. Yes, sir, we certainly will. Certainly will. Cirillo, right? Yeah. So keep them in your prayers for sure. Well, 17-month-old baby there had passed away difficult thing. I'm going to make myself a note to move that over. Okay. Yes, sir, we certainly will do that. Brother Matt Whitney. Okay. You can have Brother Matt Whitney there as unspoken. Anyone else? Mrs. Griffin. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Good, good. Amen. Amen. So hopefully the site will return. That would be... What a blessing that would be. Amen. So that's Carrie Sheely in the top right there. Um, continue to keep her in your prayers as some sight is maybe going to return. That would be a miracle for sure. Anyone else tonight? Okay, let's go ahead and have our men come if they would, please. I'm certainly thankful that we can take this time to share our burdens with each other. And uh, so we can pray for one another and then bring them before the Lord who is there ready to meet our requests. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Parker if you would pray for uh, the prayer request.
178, we're going to sing first, second, and the last verse. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? crucified are you washed in the blood of the lamb are you washed in the blood in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb are your garments spotless are they white as snow are you washed in the blood of the lamb lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. We'll be washing the blood of the Lamb. Are you washing the blood in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washing the blood of the standing and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. Amen. Thank you, Brother Waters. Appreciate Brother Waters filling in. And uh, so I don't have to do it all. Amen. I sure don't want it to be the Eric show. All right. And uh, sometimes you get (laughs) start doing everything pretty soon. I mean, y'all are probably sick of me enough anyway. So uh, without having to do everything all at once. Psalm 7. Psalm 7. I did want to say this as we begin tonight. I love, are you washing the blood of the lamb? We get to that chorus. And uh, maybe some others of you do it, but I know uh, Miss Sue McCray always sets up front and they ask the question in the song, uh, are you washed in the blood? And she always, yes, I am. It's always, and I, I hope every one of you tonight can say, yes, I am washed in the blood. Amen. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I can't think of a better night to be saved than tonight. But uh, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 7. We've got a long way to go tonight. Uh, I only have two points, but it doesn't really matter. Um, there's quite a bit to go through here, but we're going to read Psalm 7. Just the first five verses tonight, all right? Just the first five verses, and then uh, I'll let you be seated. David says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands... If I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Let's go ahead and pray tonight and we'll be seated. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truths that we can learn from it. Thank you for David and his example that we see over and over again, Lord, on how to lean on you. And I pray tonight that this would be a help to those that are here, that it would be an encouragement, Lord, and uh, 
I pray, Lord, as it's been even convicting to me, that it would convict some, Lord, of how we handle situations in our lives before you. Just uh, help me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and use me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. As is so often, as so often happens with the Psalms, when we get into them, there are, there are some that you might say it's kind of like a shotgun blast that just kind of can get everything. And there's some things that is more like a rifle where it just kind of points right at you. And this is one of those messages, all right? So I don't know. I know this is where the Lord has us tonight. I obviously don't know what everyone is going through or what they're facing. I do know that this subject tonight that we're going to look at, we've, we've all faced it before. I do know that. Um, I don't know if you're facing it tonight or not, but my prayer has been as the Lord has led me in dealing with this, and, I, and I've been really searching and seeking His will as to exactly what to, to give His people tonight, that it'll be a help to you and an encouragement to you. As we begin looking at another psalm tonight, I want us to again consider the background and the genre, if you will, that we're looking at here in this psalm. Psalm 6 that we looked at last week was a pretty easy psalm, if you will, to figure out. As I mentioned last week, it's pretty, pretty black and white because even though we don't know exactly what David had done, it was evident that he had done something. He had done something, uh, committed some sin before the Lord, whether it was great or small. It mattered to him that he had done it and it mattered to him that God wasn't pleased with him. And he wanted to get that taken care of. And as I've mentioned, each time that we've started the Psalms, about one-third of the book of Psalms is what we would call lament Psalms. We, we classify them that way. So, so far we've looked at six Psalms, not including tonight, and four of them have been lamenting Psalms. Well, guess what? Psalm 7, another lamenting Psalm. All right? And so we see David, again, obviously... Uh, lament would have to do with a grief or complaint that's being shown by the author, in this case, David again. And, and, and something that the author of the poem, it's something that he wants to express his dislike over, or his grief over, or his complaint over. And even before the service tonight, I, Brother John Ellis and I were just talking and talking about how, you know, it's, it's so refreshing almost when you, when you read the Psalms because David writes over and over and over again, a lot of the same things. He's, he's going through griefs and struggles and trials, but doesn't that relate to us? He, it's not like he wrote it one time and it was done. Because we go through the same things over and over and over again. And, and, and troubles and trials and struggles and things like that. And we see David again here in this psalm, um, as in the others, he's making his complaint or his grief known. And this is what's classified as a lament psalm. The author, who most times we will see as David, he's sharing his sorrow. Most times these complaints had to do with his enemies. And we've seen that several times already, that he was, he was complaining or, or hurting or struggling or grieving over his enemies. You might remember again, back in Psalm 3, his enemies were, were seeking to destroy him and take his kingdom. Again in Psalm 4, it was those Israelites that were faithless. They were turning to idols and that, that was hurting him because he wanted them to turn to the true and living God. 
That's what he wanted. That's what he desired. But they weren't doing this. And David, over and over again, he's lamenting about the pain in these different areas of his life that, that's being caused. Uh, but again, I have to mention that as we've seen already, just in the first few psalms that, that we've looked at, the big key in, in lament psalms, and it's worthy of mentioning again, is that in every situation, it's vital for us to note that even though David, he's not perfect, is he? We understand he's not perfect. We understand that he is flesh and blood and that he uh, you know, faces temptations and he faces sorrow and trial just like you and I do. He's not some super person that uh, had everything figured out. But there's a reason that he's called a man after God's own heart. And I still think it's worthy to note that in every lament by David so far that we've looked at, all the way through Psalm 6, he didn't turn to the world and its philosophies for the answers. He did not turn to that. No, in every situation he found himself in, he turned to the only one that he knew could help him, and that was his, his God, our Heavenly Father. He turns to him every single time. He might cry. He might weep. He might grieve. He might complain. He might have tears, but he always ends up going back to God. David knew who his strength ultimately came from, didn't he? He knew who his real help was in time of need. And that was his God, the true and the living God, Jehovah God. And that's who he turned to every single time. So as we begin chapter 7 tonight, we know that this is a lament psalm, but the next step that we need to take is to find the underlying theme as to why David is writing Psalm chapter number 7. Now we're going to see a familiar pattern continue in this lament, but tonight David's lamenting because it isn't because he's done something wrong. It's not because he is hurting over a sin that he's committed like we look back at in Psalm 6 last week. But instead, we see David, he's hurting again because of his enemies. His enemies are the problem this time. They're, they're saying things about him. And when the psalm starts out, we're told that the situation was brought about by the, by the writing of uh, the, uh, the psalm is when a man named Cush, Cush the Benjamite, said something. He said something. Now, I'm sure that everyone in here tonight remembers Cush the Benjamite, right? You all remember the stories of Cush the Benjamite? Nobody? Well, don't feel bad because this is the only place you re even read about him. You're not going to find stories about Cush the Benjamite. He's not in there. In fact, I thought to myself, okay, I mean, you can read commentaries about this and all that. And you can go do research and you can take people's word for things. But I'd rather do research on it myself and see what I can find out. And I couldn't find anything. And I thought, maybe I'm missing something. So I began to ask a few people. I asked Brother Tim. I said, hey, have you ever heard of Cush the Benjamite? He said, no. I said, well, he's the problem of Psalm 7. Is he anywhere else you know of? He said, I have no idea. So I thought, okay. So the next person I ran into as I was walking through church last Sunday was Brother Wisdom. I said, hey, Brother Wisdom, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of Cush the Benjamite? No. So, well, he's mentioned in Psalm 7. He said, let's go talk to Jeanette. Now, she likes to do the genealogies of people and all that kind of stuff. She's into that. She said, nope, don't know anything about him. 
So they did some research. I didn't ask them to. There was nothing else mentioned. You can't find him. But he's mentioned here in Psalm 7. He's mentioned here in Psalm 7. At the very beginning, before verse number 1, it says, concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Cush the Benjamite. So who is this Cush the Benjamite? Now the name Cush is used only in the context of the son of Ham and not otherwise in the life of David. It's not mentioned in any other way. So we do know that he was a Benjamite, and because of this, he was more than likely very loyal to Saul because that's the tribe that Saul was from. So most likely, he was very loyal to that tribe. Now, there's many suggestions onto who the man of Cush could have been. Some say that, in, in fact, he might have been Kish. Now, Kish was the father of Saul, so some think that it could have been Kish. Some say this man might have been Shimei, the Benjamite, under a different name. Who Remember, he's the one who cursed David in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 5 and, and continued to curse him and threw rocks at him as he was going through the area there. He caused David a lot of grief. Um, in fact, if you remember in 2 Kings 2.8, David, was, he was dying, and on his dying bed, he's warning his son Solomon about Shimei. So don't think that Shimei didn't bother David, because he did. In fact, he had him in the back of his mind a lot. But some think that might have been him. However, nothing else points to Cush being Shimei. Nothing. More than likely, this Cush was another Benjamite who was loyal to Saul and accusing David before Saul. More than likely, that's what it is. So knowing that this man that is causing David so much grief is a man named Cush, though, doesn't really help us with a whole lot. We just know his name's Cush. And he's causing David a problem, all right? However, we have other information from the psalm itself that can help us. So look again at verse number one. Verse number one. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Now this verse has David pleading for help from the Lord to deliver him from his persecutors. From them that persecute me. Verse two tells us that this persecutor, or maybe there were more than one, that they threatened to tear David apart like a lion would his prey. And they're doing this, apparently, with their words. With their words. Verses 3 through 5 have David pleading that he didn't commit these acts and that Cush, this Cush fellow, whoever he was... was accusing him of committing uh, and that of committing that and accusing him uh, that the slander was really David is saying that the slander here is really unjustified according to David he's slandering me he's accusing me of these things this is what Cush is doing but I don't believe I've done anything wrong he's saying that it's unjustified but we have to understand tonight that these enemies weren't just calmly slandering David. In fact, they were raging. All right? Go ahead and look at verse 14 of chapter 7. Verses 14 through 16. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own plate. This is what David is saying is going to happen 
to, what, to these men or, or this man, Cush, that is slandering his name, that's telling falsehood about him. These verses give us the idea that these men, including Cush, I suppose, were conniving in sin and mischief in their hearts. That's what they were doing. And the result was falsehood that was brought against David. And it was falsehood that was likened here to the pit that is dug in the ground and hidden so that people would fall into it. That's what he's saying in verse number 15. So that's the information that we have given here. And I think if we put it all together, we have a picture that looks like this. Cush was a man from Benjamin, a tribe from which David's predecessor and main persecutor, Saul, came from. That tribe, definitely through history here that we see, had some animosity toward David. I mean, you already have this man Cush from Benjamin, and you have Shimei from Benjamin, and perhaps others from Benjamin who were also slandering David. So David in Psalm 7 is experiencing slander. And not just any type of slander, but slander that threatens to destroy David. Slander that threatens to destroy his testimony, his reputation, his honor. Now remember, slander is not just what you might classify as unflattering speech. Slander is speech that's not true. It's falsehood. It's lies. And that's what's happening. Now if you remember that at this time in Saul's life, he was starting to kind of lose his mind. He, he had jealousy. He, you might say he was mentally unstable at this time. He would have likely believed the gossip that was being said about David. That was very likely. And because of that, Spurgeon said it this way. To be slandered is a severe trial. It appears probable that Cush the Benjamite had accused David to Saul of treasonable conspiracy against his royal authority. This the king would have been ready enough to credit both from his jealousy of David and from the relation which most probably existed between himself, the son of Kish, and this Cush, or Kish, the Benjamite. This, therefore, may be called the song of the slandered saint. The song of the slandered saint. So I've titled the message tonight, How Should We Deal with Slander? How should we deal with slander? How should we deal with the lies, with the falsehoods, with the accusations that are made against us? Well, I want to step away for a minute to James chapter number 3. Would you turn there with me just for a moment? James in chapter number 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together. James says this about the tongue. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offered all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, 
and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath uh, been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. The tongue, the tongue is a fire. It's the very world of iniquity. With the tongue, men simultaneously bless God and curse those made in the image of God. The tongue is out of control. Even powerful things like ships and horses can be tamed and directed, but the Bible says that no one can tame the tongue. That is what James is teaching here in this passage. And so it's no surprise that the psalmist is experiencing what he's experiencing in Psalm 7 right here in our text. David is being slandered by a particular man or possibly other men with him. And he needs the Lord to vindicate him because he believes that he's innocent of the charges that are being made against him. He believes that he's innocent. I want to read you an article that came out some time ago that I think will illustrate a little bit what we're trying to get across here. Now, in today's world, words, I think we would agree, have a tremendous effect on people. You say the wrong thing, and you're going to hear about it. You can't step on anybody's toes. But I want you to consider this media storm that took place not that long ago. A woman has accused her in-laws of all sorts of horrible treatment, offering no evidence whatsoever to support her case. Nonetheless, millions have made up their minds that the in-laws are guilty of such outrageous crimes as commenting on the tone of a child's skin. Yes, I'm speaking about Megan and Harry and the royal family. And their interview, her interview, that she had with Oprah Winfrey. Now, given the anger that was alleged over all this racism that took place about the royal family, it's worth looking at the words that caused all of that drama and problem. So this is what was actually said in the interview. Okay? Megan said this, but I can give you an honest answer. In those months when I was pregnant, all around that time, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, talking about Archie, 
He's not going to be given a title, also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. And then she starts to go on, but Oprah says, what? And she says, and, and she says, who? Whoa, 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 who? Who's having this conversation with you, what? Megan said, so, and she tries to go on again. And she stopped again. There's a conversation, hold on, hold up, hold up, stop right now, were her words. Megan, there were, there were, there were several conversations about it. Oprah says, there's a conversation with you? Megan said, no, with, with Harry. That's what happened, it was, it was with Harry. Oprah says, well, about how, about how dark your baby's skin is going to be? Megan says, potentially, and, and what that would mean or look like. Oprah says, whoa, and you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? Who you had the conversation with? Megan said, I, I think that would be very damaging to them if we did this. So then Oprah says, okay, so how does one have that meeting? How does that even come up? Megan says, well, that was relayed to me from Harry. Those were conversations that the family had with him. So here we have a secondhand report of potential conversation on how dark baby Archie's skin might be, and this is supposedly rocking the royal family in the UK. And nobody even knows really what happened. Do you know what this tells me? That words can even bring down a king. Words can even bring down a king. We're talking here about King David. And there are words that have been said against him that he's denying but others might believe are true. Falsehood, lies, slander. Now, I think if we'd go around the room tonight, no doubt we'd probably have stories we could tell on how we've been accused of things that we haven't done. Probably everyone in here would have some kind of a story if they were to think about it. Have words ever been thrown at you to hurt you? I'm sure that they have been. I can tell you, teaching school here... (laughs) Yes, even in a Christian school, words are said. They're thrown around all the time. Now, we think about if they're a little kid and they might say something and they don't even realize what they're saying. Sometimes we even laugh at it. Oh, that was funny. That was cute. When in all reality, it really probably wasn't very cute. We probably should correct them. But as they start getting older, we begin to correct them, don't we? You can't just say what you want. You can't just make something up about somebody. You can't just throw words around like that. And as we become adults, these words begin to carry more weight, don't they? Things that we say, they begin to carry more weight. And we begin throwing them around. We begin hurting people. The reality tonight is, is that if you've been in any kind of a close relationship at all, you've probably been hurt by somebody's harmful words or somebody's harmful accusations. In the world that we live in today, unfortunately... This probably happens even in marriages quite a bit. And a lot of it's not even seen until all of a sudden husband and wife aren't together anymore. And it's because they've been talking bad about one another. It happens in the workplace all the time. People bad-mouthing each other and going to the boss and giving false accusations about one another. It happens, unfortunately, let's get a little closer to home, it happens in churches where people talk about one another. They say things about one another. People claim to love the Lord, but they, they bad-mouth their pastor. Or they badmouth his family. 
or they accuse them of false things, or the assistant pastor and his family, or the deacons and their families, or the Sunday school teacher, or the bus driver, or... Now, come on, we can step back tonight and say that doesn't happen, but you and I both know it does. It happens. And words hurt. This kind of behavior shouldn't be done at all, much less by God's people, especially even in the house of God. Setting back in the nursery or downstairs in a Sunday school classroom or meeting in the parking lot after church and talking bad about somebody is not God-honoring. You've heard it preached from this pulpit, by our pastor, from others, even myself before I've mentioned it, that churches today aren't being destroyed by the world around us. They're being destroyed from the inside out. And this is one way that Satan uses to destroy churches. Slander, falsehood, lies, gossip, accusations that have no backing whatsoever. They're just things you think or things you suppose or that I suppose. Now, I don't want to bring up any bad memories or bad feelings tonight from anyone. I don't want to do that. But I bet if we were to think back tonight, we could probably all think of times that we've been deeply hurt and wounded by somebody's accusations toward us. So this brings us, again, to the title of tonight's message. What should we do? What do we do? What should be our response? How should we, as Christians, the saved, God's sheep, deal with slanderous words? What should I do if these kind of accusations are thrown at me? And this is the exact question that David's wrestling with here in Psalm chapter 7. What do I do? Because honestly, well, let me say this. David gives us the proper way to handle it right here in Psalm chapter 7. Honestly, we're only going to handle it in one of two ways. Number one, we're going to react in our flesh. We're going to react in our flesh, which unfortunately, many times, is our first response. Just being honest tonight. Unfortunately, that's usually where we go to first, is we react in the flesh. Or, the second way we're going to handle this is we're going to respond like David did. We're going to respond like David did, which honestly is a very holy and righteous way to handle the situation. So I believe tonight we're going to see yet another example as to why David is called a man after God's own heart. So let's look at David's example. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 7. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. Now I want to stop and think about this for a minute. This is King David. I said King David. He has all the power behind him to go after Cush. Think about that for a minute. He could have gone after him. He could have had him killed. He could have wiped him off the planet. He has the ability to do that. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Now let's be honest, you and I, that's probably what we do because our, in our flesh, that's what we'd want to do. Go after him. Let's get him. 
How dare they? How dare they say anything about me? But we have the tendency to get angry really quick and lash out really quick, don't we? That's, that's our, our flesh, our tendency to do that. Although, although David is the king and he has the power to take him out, that's not what David does. Instead, he does what he knows is the only real answer, again, to his problem. He takes it to God. He goes to God. He puts it in the Lord's hands, if you will. Oh, this is a great lesson for us to learn tonight. You see, if we're going to be honest tonight, you will admit that our tendency is to go run to someone else and tell them what happened. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> we do that. We do that. You won't believe what they said about me. Can you believe that they accused me of this and that? You say, I don't go to anybody. I just go to my wife. <laughs> oh, I don't go to anybody. I just go to my husband. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to somebody. Oh, I, 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 just went, I just went to my friends and we had to talk about it. We weren't gossiping about it. We were just talking. <laughs> this is what we do though, isn't it? But you don't see David doing that here. You don't see him doing that. You see, we got to run to somebody to tell him because then we can get them on our side. And then we can inflict damage back upon the one that's hurt us. We want to get back at them. That's our tendency of what we try to do. But that's not supposed to be our response. Instead, we need to be like David and turn to God to be our deliverer and turn to God to let him handle those who have wronged us. That should be our response. Let the Lord handle it. Take it to him. Pray about it. Let him deal with them. He'll deal with them better than you and I could anyway. All throughout Scripture, we're reminded to do this. Here's just a few reminders for you tonight of how we will turn to God for direction and help. And if we do that, He will help us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Exodus 14.14 The Lord shall fight for you, and He shall hold your peace. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. John 14, 14, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Psalm 121, verse 1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. Psalm 54, 4, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Psalm 37, 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Second Chronicles 14, 11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. First Peter 5, 8, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Not some, all, everything, even the words that people say against you. Take it to the Lord. Psalm 37, or 34, 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help and to help in time of need. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's just a handful. A handful of reasons... Why we should take our problems to God. And that includes the words that people say against you and me. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 91. 
Psalm 91. We're going to look at one more. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1 and 2. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Now, if you're a Bible student in here at all tonight, you know what I'm about to tell you. You've seen it. You've read it. You've heard it. Every time it seems like in Scripture, David personalizes it. You are my God. You are my strength. You are my refuge. You are my shield. You are my father. Do you know why I can say that? Because he knew God. He knew God and he made it personal to him. Can I tell you tonight, if you know the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, you can make it personal too. He is your God. He is your shield. He is your fortress. He is your refuge. You can place your trust in him. He will handle your problems. You don't have to handle them on your own. I'm thankful that we have a God that hears us and handles our problems for us. Amen. But we have to learn to go to Him in prayer. You have to learn to go to Him and cry out to Him to help you instead of us trying to handle these things on our own. Most of the time, when I try to handle stuff on my own, I make it worse. I just make it worse. And then I think, oh dear Lord, if I had just let you handle it to begin with, it'd be so much better. David takes his problems to the Lord. Number one, the Lord is David's refuge and he puts his trust in him. But number two, and this one, this is as far as we're going to get tonight. We're going to look at verses three through five. This one to me, was super convicting when the Lord kind of brought this out. But David does some self-examination. David does some self-examination. Look at verses 3 through 5 again with that thought in mind. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, If I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. You let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. How many of us can look back to a time when someone was accusing us we felt like they'd made a falsehood against us they'd slandered our name and we can honestly say tonight that we stopped and asked ourselves the question am I really guilty of what they're saying am I really guilty of that let's be honest again tonight most of the time we're more quick to defend ourselves aren't we We're more quick to put up the defenses and say, that can't be true. I've never done anything like that. I wouldn't be that way. I wouldn't. Because we can't admit that we could be wrong or that we could have done something wrong. We're certainly not guilty. Our sinful pride gets in the way and our defenses go up. 
Our flesh takes over. David, on the other hand, he stops right here and he asks the question, am I guilty of what I'm being accused of? Am I guilty of what I'm being accused of? And he asks the Lord this question. That's important. He doesn't go ask his friends. He asks the Lord, am I guilty of this? Not his friends. You see, his friends might not know, but God would know. Because God knows everything. His friends might have sided with him to obtain his favor. But he knew that God was the righteous judge. And that he would judge him accordingly. And fairly. For what and who he really was. After all, God does know the thoughts and intents of our heart. David even gives this instruction to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28.9. Let's turn there. 1 Chronicles, in chapter number 28, in verse number 9. David speaking here to Solomon, he says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. David understood that the God that he served knows the real intents and desires of his heart. And he believed this so strongly that he imparted it to his son Solomon. And he tells him, you better be right before the Lord because he knows who you really are. David, right here in Psalm 7 He knew that God knew who he really was. And so he went to the Lord and he asked him, am I really guilty of what's being said? Now, we don't know exactly what was being said. But whatever it was, David wanted to make sure he hadn't done it, that he wasn't guilty of it. So we see that he stops here and he does some self-examination. He literally bared his heart before the Lord and asked the Lord, if he was really guilty. But then he doesn't stop there. Look at the end of verse number 5. I'm sorry, verse, yeah, the beginning of verse 5 to the end. It says, Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. He says, Lord, if I'm really guilty of this, let him kill me. Let the enemy take me if I'm really guilty. Is that how you and I react when somebody slanders our name? When somebody talks about us, when we're being lied about or accused of something, what is our first thought? Have you reacted this way when somebody accused you of something? Is your first instinct to ask the question, not to your friends, not to your husband, not to your wife, not to your family, not to your coworker, not to your boss, but to God, did I really do this? Did I really commit this act or or say this or did this come across the wrong way when I said it? Am I truly guilty of what's being, what I'm being accused of? I mean, let's be real tonight. If we can never, we can never make mistakes. I mean, right? We don't ever, we don't ever say anything wrong. Nothing ever comes out the wrong way. We don't ever offend anybody on accident. I mean, it never happens, right? There's no way we could possibly be guilty. Oh, come on. You know, we all can be. We all can be. I mean, let's, 
that's, that's how our flesh works. It gets us in trouble. That's how Satan works. He causes us to say things and do things that maybe sometimes we don't even mean to be that way, but it hurts somebody. Now, David didn't think that he'd been guilty of whatever it was. He, he honestly didn't think that. He didn't think that he'd been guilty of what it was that this Cush guy was accusing him of. And no doubt by reading this text, though, it did upset him. It did upset him. And I, I think so high, you know, he didn't think so highly of himself that he was going to immediately say he wasn't guilty. But instead, he brought it before the Lord for some self-examination. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew in chapter number 7. The book of Matthew in chapter number 7. We're going to read just the first five verses. It says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment judge ye? Ye shall be judged with, uh, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold a beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. What is this saying here? Well, it's saying we're so quick many times to accuse others of being guilty, when many times we're doing the same thing. And we're just as guilty, if not more guilty. And we need to get ourselves right before God first. But that's not how we do things most times. We just don't. David, though, in this case, he didn't think that he'd been guilty of whatever it was that Cush said, but he wanted to go to God and make sure it wasn't true before he took action. Would you do that? Do you do that? Do you instinctively wonder if you were that kind of person that you're being accused of? Do you ask yourself, did I really do that? Did I really say that? Hmm. And if you are, do you ask the Lord to punish you for it? David did. Lord, if I'm truly guilty, punish me for what I've done. Because I'm wrong before you. You say, that's not a real natural thing to ask for punishment. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Nobody likes it. But it doesn't mean we don't deserve it. You might say tonight that it's almost impossible to act this way, to respond this way. To which I would say it's not impossible because David did it. And he's human and has the same flesh that you and I have. Again, don't think of him, well, he's a Bible person, so he's got this super ability to... Figure it all out. No, 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 no. He faced things just like you and I do. I just think, to be honest, he was closer to God than most. Probably all of us. So it became his nature to go to God. So we can't say that it's impossible. But I do believe there's a couple things that need to be in place. First of all, you must be like David in the fact that you love God with all your heart and that you want to follow his ways with everything that you have. That's what David wanted. And if we're going to have this kind of response, that's going to have to be our heart. We're going to have to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and do everything we can to follow him in every single way possible. And that's what David did. Second, 
you must know in your heart that you're not guilty. I'll explain this. You see, a guilty and prideful person is the one who panics. They're the one who gets angry. They're the one who usually tries to shift the blame, hide their guilt, lashes out. A humble and innocent person is the one who tries to live their lives pleasing and holy before God and acceptable unto God all the time and has nothing to hide. They have nothing to hide so they can be open before God about their behavior. Now, I understand tonight that not one single person in this room is innocent of any wrongdoing. I understand that. So that's not what I'm saying. But there are plenty of people who are innocent of accusations that are made against them. I'm going to say that again. There are plenty of people who are innocent about accusations that have been made against them. These are the people who don't lie, who don't cheat, who don't steal, who don't do things that are harmful to their friends or their family or say things that are harmful to their church family. They don't do things that will harm their enemies or try to stir up violence or stir up strife or cause divisions in the church or backbiting in the church or gossiping in the church. Those are the kind of people that I'm talking about. These kind of people can be an open book before the Lord because they have nothing to hide. These people can be open before their accusers. You know why? Because their innocence speaks for itself when their lives are properly examined. So let me ask you tonight, what kind of people are we? I told you, it was convicting to me too. I'm sitting here reading this going, okay, what kind of a person am I? What would I be guilty of if I went before God and said, okay, God, what am I guilty of? Whatever it is, punish me. That's a hard pill to swallow. But that's the example that David set. Are we living our lives in such a way that we can be like David was here? An open book. An open book. Do people have reason to accuse us of anything? Would they have a reason? Would you be found guilty if someone was accusing you? It might be tonight that we just need to do some self-examination. Some self-examination. And the next time we feel as though someone is slandering our name or wrongfully accusing us of something, maybe before we get upset and begin to lash back out at them, we need to remember David's example and get before the Lord and genuinely ask Him the one who knows our hearts, the one who knows the intents of our hearts, the one who knows who we really are, ask him if we're truly guilty of what's being said. Am I really guilty of that? Because words do hurt. Words do hurt. And there's going to be times that things are going to be said uh, either behind our back or maybe right to our face. Maybe intentionally or not intentionally. But let's learn from David. Number one, go to the Lord, turn it over to Him. Go to the Lord, turn it over to Him. And before we lash out and respond in a way that's going to ruin our testimony, stop and do some self-examination before the Lord. Lord, am I really guilty of this? Have I really done this? And if I have, maybe pray like David did in Psalm 6 even. Don't pour out your hot anger against me. 
Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace. Forgive me. But Lord, if I need to be punished, punish me. That's what David said here. Punish me. Because as we're going to see next week, what David does is he asks the Lord to handle those who wronged him. He asks them to handle him. Those that make false accusations, they should fear the Lord. They should fear the Lord. So I guess that bears the other thought. Don't be the one making the false accusation. Don't be that person. But if it's happened to you, how are you going to respond? But wouldn't it be a horrible thing for us to ask the Lord to take his wrath out on somebody who didn't deserve it? When it was really us that was the problem? And that we really had done something to hurt somebody? What's the Lord speaking to you about tonight? Maybe tonight we just need to get before the Lord and ask Him for some forgiveness. Maybe tonight we just need to ask the Lord to examine us. How do you respond to slander? Do you respond like David did? Or do you respond in the flesh? Those are the two ways. Let's bow our heads together.